Take it from the top. Take one. This is Within. Shifting the conversation on who is in prison. Recording from the vault in the Denver complex of the Colorado Department of Corrections. I'm Denise Presson, resident at Denver Women's Correctional Facility. I'm Andrew Draper, resident at Sterling Correctional Facility. I'm Ashley Hamilton, the founder and director of the DU Prison Arts Initiative. Come inside and join us for the very first season of Within, where we speak to... Dean Williams, Executive Director of the Colorado Department of Corrections. Well, call them prisoners, inmates, whatever, citizens, whatever you want to call them, they're returning Coloradans. And we better get used to that fact since most of them are coming back to us. Sarah Berry, resident at Denver Women's Correctional Facility. My word meant absolutely nothing at that point because I was what everyone else had created me to be. Luis Lopez, resident at DRDC. Because I remember there was a time in my neighborhood when it was okay to be poor, you know? I remember my dad used to tell me, son, you know, it's not a crime to be poor. Michael J. Clifton, resident at Sterling Correctional Facility. And I really called out to God and I felt like he didn't answer me. And so I literally, I tried to call out to the devil and sad to say, but I tried to make a deal with the devil. And I, tr- I literally, literally was like, all right, somebody save me. Somebody help me. Dr. Jeffrey Lynn, criminologist and professor at the University of Denver. You know, if that's the case, if the, you know, again, back to this idea of are prisoners different from us? Are inmates different from us? Are they separate from us? Or are they part of the community? And how should they be considered as part of the community? Well, I consider incarcerated people as part of the community because they are literally coming back to my community. We all have a responsibility to think about what prison does to people. Tarina Flora Alexander, resident at Denver Women's Correctional Facility. But I had suffered from PTSD since sixth grade. That was the first time I was held at gunpoint. That's where it comes from, that I need to protect kids because no one was there to protect. Well, my mother protected me as much as she could, but I became the protector that day and from then on. Roy Atkins, resident at DRDC. If I'm a victim of anything, I'm a victim of myself. You dig what I'm saying? Uh-uh. When, when you think the wrong thoughts, you do the wrong things. You know, uh, I wasn't starving. Uh, I wasn't uh, 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 subtracted from hugs, you know what I mean? Uh, somebody telling me, I, <laughs> this is crazy, but I can't never remember a time in my life when I didn't feel loved. Terry Mosley Jr., resident at Sterling Correctional Facility. I didn't believe that I was this terrible person. I mean, like I said in the beginning, when you think about the people and how they love you, right? Why do they love you? And it's because they see things that you don't see. So I always try to see why someone loves something. And um, that was always the reason why I knew that I wasn't a terrible person. I wasn't this image that they projected upon. Jamelia Nelson, resident at Denver Women's Correctional Facility. I had to survive myself, ultimately. And so I had to survive my own train of thought. I had to survive not knowing my worth, not being confident in myself, what my peers thought about me when I got here, what my family may have thought about me 
what his family thought about me, those, all those thoughts were like demons in my head that I, it, it was hard to rid myself of. Ryan Long, warden of Denver Complex. We're all people on both sides of the glass, in and out, and everybody makes mistakes and no one's perfect. The problem is, is that historically we capture the negative as opposed to capturing, you know, the 99 successes, we catch the one failure. And the one failure defines who we are, for the most part, in the public arena anyway. Otis Bell, resident at Lyman Correctional Facility. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, Lord, don't, please, just let me keep my mind. Just let me hold on to my mind while I'm here because I can understand that we have to be punished, but ain't this severe? Nick Jones, resident at the infirmary in DRDC. He was a 30-year-old man that picked me up hitchhiking. He was trying to do the nicest thing he could do, and I did the worst thing I could do. And that's part of the reason I have a problem with not being able to make up for that. Because we were at the extremes of that. He was doing the best he could do, and I was doing the worst I could do. Damon Davis, resident at DRDC. My cell represents my grave, and I get out. And the infirm represents the graveyard to where I'm the caretaker. And you just try to make it as pleasant, even though it's a cemetery, as pleasant as it can be, you know what I mean, for those people. Shauna Nygaard, volunteer coordinator at Sterling Correctional Facility. We can put them through as many classes as we want, and it doesn't matter if we don't give them the opportunity to practice those skills, they're never going to get any better. And it's not only for these guys, DOC staff as well. Robert Hill, resident at DRDC. It was just action, reaction. It was like riding a wave of anger. When you're on a wave, you can't control where you're going. You're out there till that wave dissipates or you crash. And crashed a lot. William S. Graham, resident at DRDC. With me, I was one of them people that, you know, a lot of people tripped out on because I didn't really go crazy. My thing was art. Like, I always, I was like the person that you can always find, like, rapping to myself. Like, CEOs walk by, they'll tell you, like, Graham, he's always rapping to himself in his cell. He's always kind of real reserved. I always felt like, as long as you gave me a pen and a piece of paper, I can go from there. like, that was like my, my, my island that I used to escape to. So we are in literally a, a vault, yes. a vault, right? Yes. Um, in um, the Denver complex, um, which was specifically in the, the Denver Receiving and Diagnostic Center. Reception. Oh, sorry. The Denver Reception, Reception and Diagnostic Center, which is basically everyone in the state goes through 
this space, right? And then is... Once they're committed to prison. Okay. And then they are from here. What happens when people come here to this space? You get shuffled out like cards, baby. (laughs) (laughs) You come here, they uh, diagnose... How do you say that? Diagnose. Diagnose you. And then um, evaluate you, you know, your threat level, uh, everything. Mental health. Mental health. uh, The assessment. Yeah. Yeah. And then... uh, they figure out what facility, you know, would be appropriate for you. And that's where you go from here. And so then from here, you're sent to another facility in the state. Depending on your classification. Yes. Okay. Great. So we are literally in a, a room that is a vault um, <laughs> in in that building, uh, which is yes. part of the Colorado Department of Corrections. So we are in Denver, Colorado. And uh, we are currently sitting in a male's facility, the, the male side of the facility and like the female's side of the facility is about what, a hundred feet away or something. Yeah. Like 300 yards from us probably. Yeah. Roughly. And yes. so you walked over here, you were escorted yes. over escorted here. Escorted over here. Yeah. And yes. we are sitting in a room at a table and we have an incredible group around us who are supporting this process and um, helping to produce this process. You were the inception of this Draper Talk about that, because I really want to know, Draper, because you put on a lot of work with this before I even stepped into this room. And we haven't had a whole lot of conversation about that. Like, what what was the start of it? Like, what made you think, like, that's what I want to do? The reason I'm in the room is to shed light that hope exists, right? Um, and I asked you, you know, what what makes you human? What is your most human element? And... I believe what makes all of us human is the ability to hope, the ability to have faith, right? Because when you lose hope and when you lose faith, you lose everything. And you forget what it is to be a human. You forget what it is to be a man. You forget what it is to be a woman. And inside of many facilities, not just Sterling or DWCF, but everywhere, right, throughout our country, People lose hope. They don't have hope. And they forget what it's like to be a human being. And they act as such. They act out. They become violent. They hurt people. And that cycle, they continue the cycle and they create new cycles. And they just continue to destroy. You know, and I was I was one of them. You know, I, I, I rotated in that cipher for a very long time, not understanding that my main problem was I didn't have hope. I didn't understand that tomorrow would come and I didn't care if tomorrow came. So I believe that if we can reach anyone, reach any listener, right, and help them understand that hope is real, hope exists, you know, and that simple outreach you know, can help save a life. And every day, every day that I live while in prison, while on the streets, who I am, what defines me now is I want to help repair. I want to help build and give back to society and show society that we are a part of society. We may not be you know, outside of the gates, you know, of these prisons involved in everyday normal activities that society, uh, you know, engages in. But we are a piece 
a forgotten piece, maybe a shunned piece for sure, but we still are a piece. Prison is meant to give you a number and a case, and that's it. And when you get somebody to give you humanity back, it's, um, it's very, uh, you feel empowered, you feel excited, but at the same time you feel all this pressure, uh, cause you want, you want the platform to be everything that you've ever dreamed of. Cause I think that prison reform has to happen. Uh, healing has to happen in this system. It is a system based upon nothing but people's grief, loss, and people come into here to these facilities and they are forgotten about. And so if we can remember somebody, tell somebody's legacy, give somebody the, the opportunity to find a space to heal and feel heard, that's huge. Because I think a lot of us, and I'm, I'm going to speak for a lot of offenders that feel like nobody cares about them um, and that they are just losers and they, you don't mount to nothing. And so I don't want to be so emotional because I'm excited about this. It's, it's like everything that I wanted. I want to advocate for prison change, for prison politics to not just be about a, a problem. You have to figure out a resolution and confining people and removing them from a society where the problems already started uh, is, is a space to begin. So this podcast to me is groundbreaking to the point where it like, you need more than just a jackhammer to get through this, but this is huge. Like I said, you build the door and then you kick it down. And uh, that's what this is. I've been teaching and leading arts and educational experiences in prison for the last almost now decade. And um, over the last decade, I have come to meet um, people inside who in men's facilities, women's facilities, maximum, medium, sort of all over, uh, the spectrum, who are hands down some of the most brilliant, artistic, compassionate people that I know. And a lot of them are set to live their whole lives in prison, die in prison. And I think I struggle a lot with um, the idea that the general public or f- folks who don't have a connection to someone inside, who don't have a loved one inside, um, that they don't know what's really going on behind the walls. Um, that there are incredible artists, incredible thinkers, incredible writers, um, incredible humans who are fully human and are complex, um, and they're not getting to hear from them. So it was really important to me to um, collaborate on this podcast with the Department of Corrections because I'm really commi- I'm really committed to shifting the conversation about what's going on in here, um, both for incarcerated folks, but also just the complexity of the system as a whole, right? We're living in a really interesting moment of our um, our nation and our state and the way that it's seeing corrections, the way that it's seeing this concept of safety and punishment and um, the conversations that are happening in so many circles and in so many ways. And I'm excited to create a space where we can dive into those conversations more deeply with some really interesting people, including you two. Um, and the fact that we are able to have a host um, from a male facility and a host from a female mis- 
female facility like blows my mind. The fact that I'm sitting here looking at the two of you sitting next to each other because I spend, I'm in facilities, I'm in prisons five to six days a week all over the state. Um, but seeing a male and a female incarcerated, incarcerated people sitting next to each other is like really mind blowing to me. And like having you both in this conversation is so important because um, you are experiencing the system differently. And people, they forget about people in prison and they forget that this whole other world and realm exists and that we're in prison, yeah, but we have opinions, we have lives, you know, we have uh, we have aspirations and we have goals. And instead of throwing us away, we should be able to heal, you know, we should be able to restore society and be able to build and give back, right, from what we took. We quantify life by behaviors, by choices. And um, when you get to the point of like mine, where I murdered a man, um, clearly my life no longer matters. But then as I live every day in prison and I still have a family that supports me and I have friends, Does not my life matter too? Especially when I know I have a daughter who um, who hopefully will not grow up in this system. And I worry about that every day because me not being part of her life affects her life to where maybe she'll make these same horrible decisions. And so it becomes this big, messy thing and nobody knows. Clearly nobody's known what to do. And the easiest answer for decades was to go up. Ah, throw them away. They hurt us. They wronged us. They're no longer of value. But really, we're showing. I mean, shoot, we do it every day. We're showing we are valuable. And even if it's not to the to the people outside of the gates of prison, um, I think we prove every day we're valuable to at least each other, to the staff that we have contact with. We are of value still. My victim's life, um, I want to honor it every day, however that looks in positive energy and positive doings. Um, giving back in any way that I can. We wanted to include more voices from incarcerated folks across the state of Colorado. So we started a newsletter. It's called Reverberations from Within. If you're interested in reading it or in sending pieces of writing into it, visit our website at thisiswithin.com. If you're incarcerated in the state of Colorado and you want to submit material to our newsletter, please speak to your programs manager in your facility. Within is a collaborative production between the University of Denver Prison Arts Initiative and the Colorado Department of Corrections. Our hosts are Denise Presson, Andrew Draper, and executive producer and DUPI founder and director Ashley Hamilton. Within is produced by Caroline Sheehan. Associate producers are Michael Clifton and Sarah Berry. William S. Graham is our resident poet. Media production and creative support by Angel Lopez and Chuck Martinez. Our newsletter liaison is Terry Mosley Jr. Sound engineering and editing by Jonathan Howard. Full episode details, resources, and additional content, including how to subscribe to our podcast and newsletter, Reverberations from Within, is located on our website at thisiswithin.com. Let's go! Yeah.